0: Uh, It's great to see you all. Uh, My name is Nathaniel. I'm the missional communities guy here at Storehouse Community Church. Uh, And welcome to everyone here, uh, especially anyone who may be visiting or first time in a long time. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. Today we are going to be in the letter of Philemon. And so I'm going to read the passage real quick and then we're going to uh, jump into a conversation about Philemon, which today is the beginning of a new sermon series about Philemon. So we'll be in Philemon for uh, three weeks today and two more weeks after this. And so Philemon 1 says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace for i have denied much joy and com- or i have derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you and so this morning we are going to be in philemon and as we enter into this letter it is very very short uh, it's it's tiny really and it's unique we have a lot of letters, you know, from Paul that we study uh, throughout the New Testament, but this is a unique one because it is a personal letter. It's between him and this dude Philemon and in his household, where all the other letters that, that we have in the New Testament from Paul are perhaps to you know a leader in the church, but it's overall to the entire church wherever he's sending it. Where this is between Paul and this other guy. Very specific and intentional. And so it's about a request that Paul has for Philemon. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually dive into some of the context of this letter because it's impossible to be able to study it, to look at it, and understand what it's actually saying if you do not understand the context of of the time period, of why Paul is sending this, of what he's actually asking. Uh, Because it can be kind of confusing, and we actually have a a history within the church of misunderstanding what this letter actually means. And so we have to understand the context surrounding it. And so we'll spend a little bit of time doing that this morning. And so this letter is written by Paul. He is at the time imprisoned in Rome. And he is sending this letter to his buddy uh, Philemon in Colossae. And so Philemon is a pastor of sorts. He, he's basically a pastor of a house church in Colossae. And uh, as you may recall, Paul helped plant Colossae, the church in Colossae, and he has a very strong relationship with that church. And so he is sending this letter to a personal friend, a, a co-worker that he worked with, and and somebody that he knows very, very well, Philemon. Now, as he The reason why he's writing this letter is because he meets this guy in prison, Onesimus. Now Onesimus, he meets Paul in prison, and they get to know each other. They become friends. And through his interaction with Paul, Onesimus actually comes to know Jesus Christ and gives his life and surrenders and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And as their relationship forms, Paul discovers that Onesimus is actually an escaped slave, which could possibly explain why they met in prison, because if you were an escaped slave in Roman society, it was considered a crime. So he could have possibly been in prison because of that very reason. Not only does Paul discover he's an escaped slave, though, he discovers that this guy he randomly meets in prison is an escaped slave of Philemon's. Philemon was a slave owner in Colossae, and Onesimus was one of his escaped slaves that escaped all the way from Asia Minor over to Rome and somehow meets up with Paul in prison and comes to know Jesus Christ. Now, from the very beginning, we can see very clearly that God's hand is in everything that's happening so far. Do you know the odds that this, this guy, Onesimus, would run from Asia Minor all the way to Rome and meet Paul in a prison? Like, the chances are so low. So we, we can see clearly that the message we have in Philemon, the letter, is very important. Because God made it possible for not only for that whole like, set of circumstances to happen, but that the letter would survive and be known and included in Scripture. God very specifically puts this letter, which is different than all the others, into Scripture for a reason and a purpose. And so what Philemon is talking about, we already know before we even get into it, that it's heavy, that it's important, that it's vital To God and His will. And now, before we move on, uh, we need to take a moment to talk about slavery in the Roman Empire. Because this entire letter is based around slavery. It's an escaped slave, Onesimus, and it's a slave owner who's also a pastor in Colossae. And so there's automatically some tension here, some questions that come out of this. How's this even possible? So let's look at slavery in the Roman Empire very quickly. Rome was a huge empire, and it was based off of uh, classes. It was a class society. So there are those at the top, you know, the uber-wealthy, the nobles, the Roman citizens, um, and then you can move down, you know, throughout different ranks of individuals based upon their birth, based upon what they do and, and where they're from, uh, all the way, you know, through freedmen and, and plebeians and everything else down to slaves, which were the very bottom wrong. You can kind of think of it like a pyramid, okay? The very bottom part, like the food pyramid, that's a good one. The food pyramid, right? The very bottom part, that's slaves in the Roman Empire. And then every single section above is leading up to the pinnacle, but they're all built upon those who are underneath them. The Roman Empire was built upon the backs of slaves. In fact, at this time, there were estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That is an astronomical number for the ancient world. There's even uh, records of people, uh, debates that happened within Rome, the leadership of Rome, talking about uh, how they wanted to... Mark or figure out who slaves were within society because there's lots of rules and laws to follow. And so they wanted to maybe make them wear something specific so people would be able to look at them and say they're a slave or maybe a marking of some kind. And the leadership of Rome actually said, no, we can't do that because there's so many slaves that if they knew how many slaves there were, then they would rebel. Because they outnumbered everybody. Slavery was such a part of society that it was normal, it was every day, it was seen as necessary by the, the power structure. And now a side note, slavery is, in the Roman Empire is not based off race or ethnicity like it was in American history. Anyone could be a slave. It could have been a captured, you know, pirate. It could have been a prisoner of war. It could have been anyone who fell into major debt. I mean, if we look at this letter itself, Onesimus is a Greek name. Onesimus is a Greek guy who is owned by another Greek, okay? So there is a difference there. However, slaves were still treated terribly. They had no rights at all. In fact, in Roman society, freedom itself was seen as uh, a privilege, not a right. And so slaves had no say in the way that their lives took shape. And uh, a master could just beat, torture, or kill a slave just because they wanted to. They had no rights at all. It degraded human life and value, just like any form of slavery does, no matter the differences or similarities throughout history or eras or periods or locations. And so right now I want to emphatically state that slavery in any form in Rome, in the United States, modern versions, it is wrong and is not justifiable in any way. So there is no excuse that is going to be made for Philemon owning slaves. Because it is wrong. And we will see that scripture even tells us that it is wrong. Which begins to paint a picture of why Paul is writing this letter. See, in this letter, Paul is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus for escaping and running away, which is, in this culture, in this context, seen as a great slight against the owner, as something that brings shame upon them. So Paul is asking Philemon to forgive his escaped slave, not only to forgive, but to actually restore a relationship with him. And not just the slave-master relationship that society would say, but he's actually asking him to have a real relationship with Onesimus. Even though he's a slave. Even though he's an escaped slave who, by law, deserved death at Philemon's hand. And on top of that, he even asked, and if you would be so kind, let him come back to Rome and hang out with me because I like him. Possibly even inferring that he should free him. What Paul is asking through this letter, and we will uh, see more of that meet in the coming weeks. But this letter, what Paul is asking Philemon to do is completely counter anything that should ever have been said in the Roman Empire. This is radical. It's different. It's an appeal for reconciliation between two people that should have no relationship with no real relationship, but it is an appeal from Paul to them to have reconciliation, born out of love that they both share for Jesus Christ and that God has poured upon them. And Paul is basically saying in this letter that if you love God and you have been saved by him, then it is inevitable that you will begin to love all people in the same way, regardless of what society says is right or proper. This letter is simply about reconciliation, radical reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a big word that we don't really use very often in just normal speech, but reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship in the midst of conflict. I'll say that again. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship in the midst of conflict. Now, the very purest, most perfect example of true reconciliation is how God reconciles with the Christian. See, God is good. He is perfect. He allows no evil to be around him, and yet we do bad things. We do evil. We sin. And so we are automatically in conflict with God. In fact, Scripture says that when we are in our sin, we are actually at war with God. There's conflict. God, by all standards of what conflict means, should not want anything to do with us. And yet God reconciles with us. He pursues us. He makes it possible for us to have relationship with Him by entering into human history as Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ lived a life that was perfect, without sin, without doing any evil at all, to show us that he can redeem us. And then he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that reconciliation can be made complete. Because reconciliation doesn't mean that consequences of what we do go away. It means that we are able to overcome the evil that happens and that we can reconcile and love one another despite of that. And God loves you despite of what you do, despite of the wrong you have committed. He loves you and he reconciles with you by what happens on the cross. And we are now able to be in relationship with Him. It is the ultimate reconciliation. It is the thing that brings us all together here this morning. It is the gospel, the good news that encourages us to be able to then pursue reconciliation ourselves. In First Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ." Jesus Christ was the one who mediates reconciliation between all humankind and God. And so we see that reconciliation is very important to God because it is literally the way that he saves us. And Jesus is the mediator of that. And reconciliation is important for us between each other as well. God gives us the example between him and us, but he also calls each one of us to have reconciliation with each other. I mean, we can see this because this letter is Paul, who really has nothing to do with their relationship. He is stepping in and saying, there's conflict between you two. I am calling you to reconciliation because of the reconciliation that God has done for each of you. And so we are called not just to reconcile with God, but reconcile with each other. And this is on an individual basis, reconciling with a friend, a loved one, a spouse, whatever it may be. Reconciliation happening individually. But not just that, but reconciliation on a broader scale. Reconciliation between communities, between churches, between denominations, between nations, between races. Reconciliation is important. It is what God has called us to do. And this is our main idea for today. That reconciliation in all its forms, reconciliation is God's will. It is God's will that we are reconciled to Him. It is God's will that we are reconciled with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is God's will that we are reconciled with the non believer, the enemy, the one that despises and hates you. It is God's will that our nations and communities are reconciled with one another. It is God's will that racial tension and oppression is reconciled between everybody. It is God's will that we are reconciled. And that is not an easy ask, and yet God does give us a way to do it. And Philemon is going to give us the answers that we seek on how do we reconcile? How do we pursue reconciliation? Let's pray for this time, pray for ourselves as we move into uh, a deeper discussion on Philemon. Father, I thank you so much for this letter. God, you give us so much in just a few (laughs) Simple lines, you give us earth-shattering revelation. Holy Spirit, move among us so that our hearts are open, that our minds are open, so that we can learn more about you, so that we can dive into everything that you have for us, so we may worship you fully and bring glory to you through reconciliation and our pursuit of it and our ability to actually achieve it. Lord, I ask that you speak through me. Don't let me intercede in this, but let your will be done through your text. In your name, amen. Reconciliation is the point of this letter. It's everything that this letter is about, okay? And due to the nature of the context of the letter, which is very intentional, God does everything through his holy word intentionally, And it is about a declaration that reconciliation, true, godly, and biblical reconciliation will bring about social reform. This letter is written in the context of slavery within the Roman Empire. A slavery that was thought as normal, practiced by Christians And Paul writes this letter in direct contrast to what people thought was normal and okay. Social reform is going to come about by true godly reconciliation. It was true then and it's going to be true today as we deal with reconciliation in our own nation. Paul is asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother, as a beloved friend, as an equal. (laughs) This shouldn't have happened in Rome. Not between the slave and master relationship. This is dramatically and emphatically breaking the systemic structure of slavery that Rome was built upon. This letter Philemon lays the ethical groundwork that makes the legal destruction of slavery even possible. And here we can see that no form of Christianity could ever support slavery because of this. And yet, we see that in the history of the United States, that Philemon, this letter is used by Christians to justify slavery. It has been used for Years and years by people who were practicing slavery, claiming to be Christians because they said, this says it's okay. And yet this letter is one of the very clear times when we can see in scripture that slavery is condemned because of what God has done within us. This is a warning for all of us. When we want to justify our sin, we are going to pervert Scripture to be able to do so. And when we do that, there are going to be dramatic repercussions. Whether you're doing that in your own life and it's going to have repercussions on your children because of what you're teaching them. Or on the scale that we look at in American history where the church was using Scripture to justify an evil that is slavery a race-based slavery, just sin built upon sin. This was used by the church and the price that we are paying is that that sin that the church committed is still reverberating through the church today. It is no mistake that some of the most racist things that I've heard on the news or seen over the last four or five years have come from white Christians Who go to church every single sunday the sin of the church in america has led to repercussions that we are feeling even today where sin is still just happening because of this we have perverted scripture and so it makes it so vitally important that we must know what this is saying we cannot allow ourselves to be able to pervert it to be able to believe lies In Scripture, we have to know what it says, and we have to understand, as Philemon teaches us, that true reconciliation is God's will. And when we deny that, we open ourselves up to the possibility that sin could not only enter our own lives, but that we are going to affect everyone around us, even on the national level. The denial of true godly biblical reconciliation has damaged the American church greatly. Because of this, we have a great responsibility to not only understand reconciliation, to not only understand what God wants for his people and for the world as a whole, but we have a responsibility to proclaim it, to teach it that our actions reflect it. First, we must be reconciled to God ourselves so that we can understand what reconciliation truly is because God is the perfect example of it. And then only through our reconciliation with God are we able to see the world through his eyes, the way he loves us, the way he loves every human every creature, God created the world not to forget it, but to love it, to interact with it. When we become believers and followers of Christ and we devote ourselves to him, the Holy Spirit fills us with his love and we're able to then pour that love out upon others. Love becomes a possibility and a reality for the Christian And it makes reconciliation possible. Now, reconciliation is hard. I I get that. It's not easy. The very definition of reconciliation is that it is in the midst of conflict. But just because it's difficult and that we're not naturally inclined to do it doesn't mean that it is an impossible task when we have knowledge of God and his love and we experience it and live it and we show it to others, that is making it possible. Philemon was a Christian, a pastor of the early church, and he was in sin. Paul is calling him to learn more about God to learn more about God's love. Here's the message we get from that, that it is never too late to turn from your sin. You may have some hidden sin. You may have some sin that you're blatantly okay with. It is not too late to turn and repent from it and to learn more about God and His love so you can love better It even says in verse 6, Paul says to Philemon, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That we would learn more so that we would be able to love better. Reconciliation is possible and it's never too late to do it. that relationship that you feel like is repaired or is broken beyond repair it's not too late to pursue reconciliation the way god has saved us the way he has reconciled with us despite of our sin it doesn't make any sense but through god's perfect love it happens When we submit ourselves to God and surrender ourselves to his perfect love, all reconciliation is possible. The world is in desperate need of reconciliation, and it seems impossible. It seems impossible that we can have reconciliation between the different races of the United States when we have so much tension and struggle Sometimes it can seem impossible, but it is because God makes it possible because reconciliation is his will and nothing can stand against the will of God. Right now in Israel, there is so much death. So much suffering is happening right now, born from hatred between peoples. Reconciliation heals, brings people together under God's love. I don't really care what your political stances are on Israel, on uh, racial injustice, on anything that's happening. I don't, I don't care about that because this is unifying. Reconciliation is God's will and it is the thing that we should stand for. Reconciliation is what the world needs. World that is desperately in need of a change. Hate and despair are the hallmarks of our society. And the lasting effects of evil born out of hatred is blatantly obvious in our country and the world, but reconciliation can change that. True godly reconciliation that brings people into relationship with one another. Not just the appearance of it, not just the ability to have peace and to say, we'll leave you alone if you leave us alone, but true, godly, biblical reconciliation where a relationship is formed and made new, even though there's conflict. And that can only happen through God's love, acting in and through. His people, through the church, through you. Reconciliation happens in the midst of conflict, and so it is hard, but it is possible. And so now we're going to go into the actual text. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7, as I read earlier, in Philemon. And this is just the introduction to the letter, this is just the greeting that Paul has to Philemon. In the coming weeks, we're going to get even deeper into the text and deeper into what reconciliation is. But we're going to look at this greeting in the light of the context we just talked about and see it for what it is. It is a precursor to a call to reconciliation. Paul is preparing the heart of Philemon to reconcile. And so we can look at this greeting and we can read it and see how it prepares our hearts to reconcile with others. We can pursue reconciliation by preparing ourselves the way we see here. One, how we can prepare ourselves for reconciliation individually and how we can prepare to call others to reconciliation as Paul is doing as mediator between Philemon and Onesimus. And so, I'm going to read verses one through three, and it says, "Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Epheia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Paul is writing to Philemon; it's individual, but it's to his household. I mean, that's the way it was usually done in in Rome. His wife. Philemon's wife and his probable son, and then the whole household. Understanding that what he's talking about, what he's going to bring up to Philemon, is going to have dramatic repercussions in the church that meets within his home as well. Now, Paul is approaching this conversation about reconciliation. It's going to be difficult, it's going to be countercultural, it's going to be dramatic. He is approaching this conversation by addressing Philemon as a friend, as a faithful believer in Christ and with the weight of another's opinion. He's bringing Timothy into this, who's a respected elder in the church, saying, Timothy, and I've talked about this, right? Timothy is on board with this. It's addressed to an individual and his household, but it's going to be dramatic for the church that they're a part of as well. And so we can pull a few things from this Introduction. When we pursue reconciliation, we must be one, a friend. We must be peaceful, gracious, loving. Paul is not approaching Philemon with judgment or, you know, that hard, firm stance of, man, you messed up. Now he's coming to him saying, man, you are my friend. I love you. Now, we got something to talk about, but I'm coming to you in peace. When we pursue reconciliation, whether it's between us and somebody else, or whether we're asking for reconciliation between others, we have to approach it peacefully, as a friend, lovingly, and full of grace, because there's conflict. And when you're in conflict, having grace is one of the hardest things you could ever do. But we approach it as a friend. And number two, that we are rooted in Jesus Christ. He says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus, saying that his present circumstances and everything that is happening is because he loves God and he's happy to do it. Because Jesus Christ is everything to him. When we approach reconciliation, when we are pursuing someone else and saying, I want to be reconciled with you, We have to be rooted in Jesus Christ. It is only through God's love that reconciliation is truly possible, and so you have to be steeped in prayer. You have to be praying over the whole situation, over your own attitude, your own heart. I mean, I'll tell you right now, it's impossible to enter into a really heated conflict and have a peaceful heart as a friend if you're not in prayer. Whenever my wife and I are at you know, odds with each other, I've got to separate myself and pray before I can go and actually talk about it. Because when we're in conflict, we do not want to be peaceful or gracious. So we must be in prayer, letting the Holy Spirit take over for us. And we must have correct theology. You have to know your Bible. I feel like Marco and I have said that sentence every single week for the past, like, three months You have to know your Bible. Read it. Know it. We've already seen what happens when people in the church do not know what their Bible says. They have used Philemon for evil purposes, and yet Philemon is one of the most beautiful messages in the whole Bible. So know your Bible. Pray. Go into situations knowing what God's Word says and how God wants us to react to it. And lastly, number three, we need to be serious about it. When you go into reconciliation, you have to understand how difficult this is, not only for you, but for the other person, or how difficult it's going to be between the two people that you're calling to reconcile. It is so hard that we cannot take it lightly. Whether we feel the emotions or not, whether we understand where the other person is coming from or not, we must know that it's hard and that it will not be an easy journey. You must invest in it in conversation and preparation and prayer respect for the consequences of your efforts because there are consequences you could seek reconciliation with someone and they'll spit in your face it's totally possible are you prepared for the response the consequences of your pursuit of reconciliation because if you're prepared you'll be able to continue to respond in love and peace and grace If you're not prepared, you're going to lash out and your conflict is going to grow larger. We need to be prepared. And when you pursue godly reconciliation, it is affirmed by godly people. Paul brings Timothy into this conversation because he wants Philemon to know that what he's about to talk about, no matter how crazy it may seem, it has been invested in affirmed by godly individuals that Philemon respects. And because of that, Philemon can take it more seriously. So when we pursue reconciliation, we need to be a friend rooted in Jesus Christ and be very serious about what we're actually doing. In verse 4, he continues, Paul continues, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers Because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Jesus Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is flowery, if we're honest, right? Like, he is just complimenting the crap out of Philemon, making him feel real good about himself. But there's a purpose for this because he's about to bring up something that is super heavy, something that Philemon's going to pause at and not know how to respond. But he's mentioning all these things because what he's doing is he, he is appealing to Philemon's character. He's saying, I know who you are. We're friends. And I know that you love God. I know that you have godly character. And he's preparing the way because reconciliation happens because we have godly character, because it's an evidence of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is an extension of godly character. Paul knows that Philemon is godly. Now, as we can see in verse 6, I mean, he's even hinting already before even bringing it up that there's still areas to grow, right? I pray that you come to know full knowledge, right? Implying that he's not quite there yet. And I'm going to be honest with you, you're not quite there yet. You do not have full knowledge of God's character. You do not have full holiness right now. So that should encourage us to always pursue God so that our righteousness shall grow, that we become more like Jesus Christ so that our character becomes more and more godly so that we can pursue reconciliation as he commands us. And he says that Philemon is godly because of the following evidence, hallmarks that we can even look for in our lives, that Philemon lives obediently as far as he knows and that people see it. I mean, he's the pastor of a church. People witness his obedience. He loves God. He shows love. He loves the church. He prays for them, talks about it. He is serving them. He is hospitable. He's loving. He's generous. These are the things that Paul says about him, saying, I see these things. I know you have godly character. As we prepare to reconcile with others or call others to reconciliation, we have to have godly character. Our identity has to be rooted in Jesus Christ and we need to have this evidence that is evident in our lives, obvious to people. Because if we don't, then why would we be taken seriously? Why would anyone really trust our attempts at reconciliation? And if we don't have evidence of godly character in our own lives, then it is most likely true that your motives for even reconciliation are going to be stained and corrupted. When we go into reconciliation, when we pursue relationship with others, we have to come on the basis of God's love and His love alone. And we have... Another warning here. A warning that our, God, our character, if it is godly or not, is going to have serious repercussions on our ability to have relationship. And that if we really want to pursue reconciliation and yet we do not have godly character, you will not be able to do it. So we must first make sure our relationship with God is right. It begins with reconciling with the Father, which will then be evidenced through godly character and living. And as we see in verse 6, if we don't, and we don't completely pursue God in His will, then our testimony will suffer. And it possibly could even be destroyed as we have seen in the American church as people right now look at the church as one of the most horrible institutions that's ever happened in the United States. And a large part of that is because of the support the church had for slavery in the United States. The testimony of the modern church has been compromised due to Christians, so-called Christians, whatever, ignoring the truth of God's word. Including our ability to reconcile with people, not only then, but today. Reconciliation is God's will. In church, we got to be on the front lines of reconciliation. We have to be the first to pursue it in our own lives, and around the world. Because we know the truth of what reconciliation is and how it's even possible. My entire life, there has just been, you know, news about how peace talks continuously break down and fail in the Middle East. There has been conflict around the world again and again, I listened to the stories of my grandfather who served overseas in war. This world is suffering because we cannot reconcile. Over the past few years, the United States has suffered greatly because we cannot reconcile with one another. Whether it's political differences, racial experiences that prohibit us from seeing one another as people, whatever it may be, we are hurting and we have a desperate need for reconciliation. Church, we must be the ones that pave the way. We have experienced the greatest reconciliation of all, God saving us Forgiving us, redeeming us, transforming us into new creatures. We have been reconciled with God and have experienced that on a personal level. We know what reconciliation is. We cannot hold it to ourselves. It is difficult and it is very heartbreaking to see a world suffering when you have the answer when you know the way forward, there's no excuses for not pursuing reconciliation. We must pursue reconciliation in our own lives, with your family, with your friends, with loved ones, with, it, with enemies, with people who don't like you. And like I said earlier, it may not turn out great. They may not want anything to do with it. But we should pursue it anyway. And we should pursue reconciliation and social reform, as Paul is doing in Philemon. Pursue it beyond individuals, beyond ourselves. We should pursue reconciliation between communities, neighborhoods, people, ethnic groups, races, nations. Church, we should be on the front lines of reconciliation around the world. God pursues reconciliation. He desires it for all people. If God wasn't a God of reconciliation, we would not be here and we would be condemned. So let us, church, pursue reconciliation. Let's pursue it as God wills it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Thank you that you loved us so much that you reconciled with us. Father, I humbly ask that you allow us to be able to reconcile with others. It is difficult. It's hard. It seems almost impossible in so many situations, even when it's just a a family member that we have been estranged with. And yet, Father, I ask that you help us to at least attempt to pursue Help us to be able to be peaceful and gracious, generous, loving. Allow us to be rooted in you in every single way. Let prayer become our bastion that we go to when we don't don't know what to do. Let us study your word and know it in our hearts so that when we come up against a situation that requires reconciliation, we are prepared and we know your will in it. And Father, allow us to live obediently so that our testimony will be able to be clean, to be pure, that we are able to speak truth into the lives of others because we are living it. And those areas of our lives that may have a blind spot that we may not see the sin in our own life or, or even the areas that we have ignored. Allow us to see it. As Paul is calling Philemon to see an area of his life that he is ignoring your will in, allow us to see what we have been ignoring. Allow us to see what we have been blind to. Father, we want to honor you. You have done more for us than we could ever deserve, or could be justified by any sense of logic, and yet, God, you did it anyway. Allow us to be able to pursue you and to honor you in reconciliation with others. Lord, you are good, you are holy. Let us hold on to who you are so that we can love as you love. In your name, amen.